0: And it's everything you need to make a quality podcast all in one place. So, what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or visit anchor.fm to get started. Samuel Surafel is an entrepreneur, global program manager and technology specialist. Since 2014, he has led Mansa CoLabs, a company that supports the growth of early stage companies and nonprofit projects in North America and Africa. A strong focus is placed on entrepreneurship ecosystem building, particularly for African diaspora businesses, and the promotion of the creative sector as a source for entrepreneurial and employment opportunities. He has led education technology projects in East Africa, youth entrepreneurship training across multiple countries on the continent, and has co-authored toolkits on how youth can access employment at the intersection of ICT, agriculture, and health sectors. Samuel, welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the WTF Show. Today, we have with us Samuel Sarafel of Mansa Collabs. And Samuel will be telling us about what Collabs is, why he started it, and to talk to us about sort of his foray into entrepreneurship and his deep connection with entrepreneurship in the DMV, which is the District of Columbia, Maryland, and Virginia. Exactly. Where we live and work
1: and play when we're not in the midst of COVID. Uh, Sam's just a local treasure. And his enthusiasm and passion for entrepreneurship, the African diaspora, and just economic growth in general, really, you know, I've been impressed and um, inspired by him for a very long time. So looking forward to hearing his insights.
0: All right. So without further ado, Samuel. Samuel.
1: Welcome back to another WTF episode. Really glad to have uh, Samuel Sarafel from Mansa Colabs joining us. So Samuel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. How are you?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, Lydia and Michelle.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you for joining.
1: Yes. So I know you as a tour de force here in the DMV area. I mean, everybody knows Sam. I mean- you know, you you you're in any kind of eatery in the DMV, and you you know you're you're usually sitting there waxing poetic with some another amazing person. But for those of you, for those not familiar with you, Sam, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, and what led you to start Mansa Collabs?
2: Yeah, thank you. When when you say waxing poetic, I, it, it took me back to my uh, or actually still my my rapping days. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was a flashback moment right there. But um, so uh, about me, I am uh, Ethiopian born, uh, St. Louis raised in DMV transplant. I've been uh, in and out of the region for about 25 years. Uh, and I say that to say that, you know, the, the sort of where I'm from helped me to sort of identify and uh, what colors my view of opportunities. Um, my journey was based on primarily following my passions. Um, I'm passionate about sustainable business, technology, culture, um, the African diaspora. So most of my career has been some one of these or more of those, and, and, and preferably uh, a few of them combined. So I've had like, the opportunity to work for for-profits, some non-profits, international development, creative like with the wax, wax and poetic that you mentioned earlier. <laughs> uh, uh, but my favorite also amongst those is, is with small businesses and entrepreneurs, specifically in the early stages. So um, while I was working in uh, international youth development, uh, my my interest in, in entrepreneurship specifically was reignited with one of my sort of final projects that I was managing. Um, it was a rollout uh, of an entrepreneurship curriculum for young people to use, uh, primarily in, in various African countries, um, and it was also adopted in the Middle East. And so, while I was working on it, I started reflecting on, you know, where I was at at my career and in the area of entrepreneurship. And I realized like two things. One was that I wanted to get back into the entrepreneurial space, uh, and that's sort of what launched uh, Monsa Collabs. And in particular, I wanted to provide a direct um, support for uh, small businesses, nonprofits, and creatives directly uh, without sort of the structure that I was working in prior, which is sort of doing it under the auspices of a third party grant or doing it in in the whole, in that nature. I wanted to figure out what value I could provide for um, these early stage projects or businesses and and do that um, on my own through an advisory.
1: great I I mean I think I'm most impressed by the level of experience and connections that you have here Um, not just in the DMV but just in general and just seeing some of your webinars and um, other events that you've been uh, involved with there's definitely a passion for the work you do so you talked about Mansa Colab sort of adding value uh, through matching clients and and providing sort of advisory um, and solutions in 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 various collaborative networks, for those of us who will kind of need a concrete example, can you can you tell us how that works in practice? So how do you sort of add value and ensure impact in the various sectors you work in?
2: Sure. It's a great question. So we, we operate primarily in three levels uh since the, the, the company was started. The first level is ecosystem um and ecosystem building. So uh back in the 2014 um time frame, you know, the especially in the DMV region, there wasn't much of a community of um, I would say diaspora African, you know, entrepreneurship. Support communities, you know, so or, or tech ecosystems, uh, if you want to say, um, they were here and there. Uh, and so we launched the uh, DMV African Entrepreneurs Meetup that had um, a, a number of events around the area, ranging on topics uh, such as like fashion, uh, entrepreneurship, tech entrepreneurship. Of course, we did one on agribusiness, ed tech, clean tech. Uh, we did collaborative events with other. Uh, sort of early stage advisories and sort of incubators that were in this space. Um, we've done a larger event uh, called the African Diaspora Entrepreneurship Summit that was based here, uh, where we're based in Silver Spring, Maryland, uh, and for the Montgomery County uh, region, but also other folks from all parts of the DMV were able to attend. And actually, from um, outside of the DMV came we also provide coaching uh, support, so that's sort of periodic support one-to-one to entrepreneurs. Um, so, you know, a host of entrepreneurs reach out, they need help, everything from the idea stage to launch, or just, you know, have a feedback person to talk to. So, you know, I have a lot of sessions with people on that. And then you get more in-depth consulting support. So uh, that could be everything from business planning to business business development, market research, um, technology support project management uh one great example of an ongoing partnership sort of and that's how we see most of our clients as really long-term partners is with a firm called genie games um it's a language learning uh app company based in uh nigeria uh and in the UK that teaches kids and families African languages they have like a host of languages Kiswahili, Twi Yoruba Ibo Wolof Ewe. Uh, We've been able, through this partnership, to really help bridge key relationships with this region since they didn't have representation in in North America uh, to the diaspora communities that are here uh, and increase their downloads, uh, help sort of give them representation in venues that they may not have had opportunity to be a part of. Um, For example, there's one that's the largest event around here that provides like content producers, uh, a forum who are producing content to teach uh, families about African culture and more. So, you know, we're increasing their partnership efforts to help bridge that relationship. But we've done other projects like helping um, a leading entertainer kind of translate their idea for developing a STEM center into – into reality really uh, by helping everything from the conceptualization of it to getting them supporting the team that got them about 250,000 in local grants towards that effort um, and others.
1: Yeah, I love this idea. It sounds like a, you know, a mastermind group for every business so that they can really maximize their ideas and, yeah. and scale and grow them so
0: are, I mean definitely well needed. Um, so we've been okay using then. the term sorry Lydia we've been using the term DMV quite hmm. liberally assuming that all of our listeners are familiar with what the term means so DMV for those who aren't local to this area is the District of Columbia, Maryland and Virginia um, so just to put that out there so that Everyone knows what the yeah. DMV is. If you don't the know, fir- now you
2: know. <laughs> the first time I heard that term, you know, somebody I had just, I had just moved back to the region. I was in East Africa, and then somebody said, "Da da 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 DMV," and then I said, "What? what it's you not the get Department of Motor Vehicles." <laughs> and so I, I, had, I had some catching up to do on myself. <laughs>
0: So Samuel, your background in international education, youth engagement, and technology here in the DMV, now that we've defined it, and on the continent means you have decades of experience. What are the trends around funding and finance for entrepreneurs that you have found the most intriguing?
2: Yeah, so, you know, I would say before the sort of, you know, events of the last few weeks um, I would say that the funding landscape for entrepreneurs in the US and the countries that I've worked in on the continent would mostly be the same, which is like limited to none um, in terms of <laughs> the, the the Don't be of, so hopeful. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> that also sounds like a rap album. <laughs> yeah.
2: You know what? I might think about that. No, but it's, yeah, I'm just, I'm speaking from. I would say what the average is, you know what I mean um but I would say like what I see happening in the u s, especially after the, as a the result of of the recent uprisings, especially around social injustice and um is that there's been a marked uptake in the at least announcements in some the number of those announcements and the size of the funds focused on entrepreneurs of color um and so this is a like you know very recent development i know there have been funds open but the number and the size and what you hear on the wire you know has increased markedly so we'll see how that pans out um on the continent you know from my background and and sort of i keep i keep tabs on what's happening um there still seems to be sort of like a dilemma that a lot of uh, entrepreneurs face that a lot of the funding for most entrepreneurs are still coming from like the NGO space in terms of like small money grants, and they're based mostly on pitches. Uh, And the bigger deals from the private sector are largely for like firms that are either HQ'd in the U.S., headquartered in the U.S., Europe, uh, operating on the continent. And most of those are are, uh, from non-Black founders, with, with, with exceptions, of course. Uh Um, and so the indigenous talent in these countries, you know, don't either have a pathway for growth, you know, despite, you know, there are marked increases like in co-working spaces and incubators for them to connect and build relationships and hone on their talent, but the funding, there isn't a pathway. So I've seen that the, the deals are increasing and I hope that they open up more. I think the challenge Is that we still don't have a good system to identify and nurture what we know are there's a guaranteed number of innovators and geniuses that are existing in those communities um, that can help create groundbreaking work. Um, But I would say, you know, and, and both can provide like they can provide a good both financial and non financial gain, but we haven't really built a good system for finding and nurturing them. Uh, and I think that's the work that's ahead of us. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's that's my thoughts on that one.
1: Yeah, I think you make a really good point there, Samuel. It's just, first of all, it sounds like there's a lot of money on the street, but, you know, what lies beneath, you know, how exactly. many of those, you know, efforts and initiatives and shiny, you know, new... Um, uh, Impact funds out there will really have the impact in air quotes that we need know needs to happen. And second of all, you know, who's is this a flash in the pan? Which I think a lot of people are sort of feeling that this is just a knee jerk reaction to long, you know, a long uh, period of under investment and um, and just un not being able to sort of tap into the potential of Black entrepreneurs and, um, and social enterprises focused on our demographic. Um, yeah. So talking a bit about that, our demographic. So locally in the DMV area, um, Africans are the most likely to have or to start a business than any other diaspora population. And I think that has a lot to do with maybe credentialing. It has a lot to do with maybe, you know, family, um, past experiences with entrepreneurship. How do you think this statistic can build meaningful bridges that grow business and unlock capital in the diaspora and uh, the greater co- and onto the continent?
2: Yeah, so, you know, when I think about, you know, the, that I think about the different types of businesses that um, our communities represent. So we have many, many small shops and service providers. For example, I just speak within the Ethiopian American community, you know, due to whether it's language or the culture or, or the the propensities, like you mentioned, to start businesses. We almost have like there's a parallel economy of providers uh across all types of uh goods and services within the community i think as of late uh do you know due to covid-19 and its impact um these businesses like others that are severely impacted their main i think challenge is survival um especially in these lean times so you know that's a, that's an area that even that right now you have to innovate and pivot in some ways, uh, and, and also just, uh, plan for survival of those businesses. Then we have different types of other types of businesses as well. Um, you know, in information technologies, you know, startup media, creative sector, real estate, uh, and other types of, uh, entrepreneurs products. So like, uh, for example, Alifia, I don't know if y'all are familiar with that. Um, brand uh-huh. um, started by someone from the diaspora in, in Washington state, you know? And so like these types of companies, they're going to continue to grow. Um, they're, they seem, you know, hopefully with, with minimal impact. And so stack shares, another, like a big, uh, a good example based in Silicon Valley, started by the diaspora and, and others specifically in the region, like those that are providing services for the government. So in both cases, I think what we need is for the firms to continue to grow and succeed, because in doing so, they create the wealth that's necessary uh, for sort of the follow-on seed capital to come from, like the founders and other people that are part of those firms. Then, you know, the impact is, for example, if we were to have just you know a handful, maybe or even ten uh, doll, you know dollar millionaire uh, million dollar companies generating million dollars in the DMV, you know that's a host of entrepreneurs that would take the type of risk necessary that can pull push capital out to other innovators in their home countries or even locally. They can be angel investors, start funds, things of that area. Um, one, one aspect that I don't think that's really uh, talked about much is also the influence of where the diaspora entrepreneurs or even people that are in firms can can sort of play in helping entrepreneurs through sourcing, uh, be, helping them get in their procurement cycles uh, to help you know whether either pulling in through finished goods, semi finished goods uh, with some at, added value, or even services pulling people in to be contractors in their firms, supplying services, and especially in this global economy because that will provide a source of capital uh, for. For for innovators back home um, and and here in our community, Lydia, you can follow
0: up. I'll oh, okay. take the last one.
1: All right. Um. Okay. So, thank you very much for that, Samuel. I think you're you're right to have that sort of broader assessment of how um you know you the bridge building component can, can, can sort of grow both businesses and drive economic growth in both areas. And and I agree with you about the procurement piece, because so much of money um, is about procuring services. And, you know, I'm typically looking at it from the standpoint of risk, because so, so much Money tends to disappear in the procurement process, but done well, I think it's a, a really stable way to inject um, steady capital and allow companies and enterprises to grow. So uh, thanks very much for that. Uh, sort of pivoting slightly, I, I've been sort of hearing a lot about the ICT sector on the continent and there's the um, development of the Silicon Valley in Rwanda and other really um, you know amazing and innovative um, tech hubs, mostly on in East Africa, but you know you, you're seeing them popping around all over the continent. What? How do you see the the sector really driving? Um, ICT globally, lots of people are sort of focused on the lens of, of um, like technology on the continent, but I'm just curious about your takeaways given your experience in the sector.
2: I mean, I think, you know, um, one of the opportunities that comes with developing, especially, you know, IT based businesses, on the continent, is that it? Most of them are going to be trying to serve um, populations that are hard to reach, um, or maybe haven't don't have access to ready internet or connection. So, of course, the mobile first component. Um, there'll be just from the, the the applications and what problems they're trying to solve, and in doing so, I think you would find that the solutions that are generated have applications. In other markets. So for example, I mean, if you think about in the US, uh the unbanked and underbanked uh, communities uh here, you know, it's it's quite significant, specifically if you talk about those for, for communities of color. Um and so when we go to the continent and think about what have been some of the solutions brought on and, and ways in which that problem is being addressed. Some of that I think in, in part, of course, I'm not a proponent for like a copy-paste model. Um, there there are definitely things that need to be done to adapt and, and and nuances to that. But I think some of the bigger chunks of that though have solutions. So those who come up with that may have access to markets here. I think around um e-learning, you know. Uh, yeah. Ed tech in particular, uh, whether and that's an area that I'm, I'm, you know, I have a particular interest in as well. Uh, as mentioned earlier, uh, the kind of problems that are trying to be solved there in terms of uh, access to quality educational materials, uh, you know, school management support to to parents in the broader community, um, you know, trying to find ways to to you know, provide equitable and good educational resources to those who may not have it. And then also, uh, of course, we see in the U in the U.S. that, you know, health in that sector. So I think there are going to be a lot of um, solutions that are because of the scale uh, and the need that will start uh, in areas like the continent and other uh, emerging markets or, or countries, you know, uh, con- countries like India, for example, um, they have a lot of of solutions coming out that should at least be looked at and provide uh, growth opportunities for those companies as well.
1: Yeah. One thing that is really striking me right now, and I think we talked about the, the depressed economic outlook versus what is this injection of cash targeted to black entrepreneurs and black businesses um, who have historically had to deal with sizable discrimination and bias in the investment space so one of the things i'm thinking about is the resurgence of, you know, diaspora pooled giving. So, you know, we had our home springs, which was kind of the first iteration of crowdfunding. We've had susus and tandas Mm. and other types of like community resources, resourcing. I'm wondering what you think is kind of the next iteration in that space and with everybody out here, creating different funds and us unsure about how long that's going to last. What do you think the future needs to look like in, in terms of diaspora pooled giving?
2: Mm, That's a, that's a good question. I I think for me, I'm still sort of wrapping my, my, my brain around who is um, who's operating at the moment successfully. So for example, um, I know, and I've heard of, uh, different examples of diaspora based, especially in the sort of, um, I will put this more in the, um, you know, social enterprise model perspective mm-hmm. that, you know, have, uh, been able to successfully develop their projects, whatever it is from here with their own funds uh if it's taken them you know maybe three, four, five years, ten years, but have been able to do it really through bootstrapping and and they have systems in place for uh ensuring that it's applied appropriately to whatever projects that they're doing and so I feel like um so the community giving is one aspect, and there are people who also collectives that are pulling money and doing it to build schools uh without much attention without much study um and are highly efficient highly effective uh at, at, at how they're doing it and i feel that we have to understand that more um and find those that are organ- have organically been pursuing this path and figure out what are the challenges that they've been facing to kind of uh help you know remove those And let them do it better. You know what I'm saying? Um, And you don't hear about them unless you kind of go to their fundraising events or in businesses. There are businesses that people who you meet, even in the private sector, that have been able to uh, create systems uh, uh, together where they've been able to... the, the, The challenge is not only in just sending the money, but making sure that the money and the uh outcome is 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 what you know is what you desire and, and having systems in place like any business, right? Um you deploy the capital and then you have some management system to to help in the implementation. So I feel like we have some some work to do to understand that better and then remove whatever barriers those folks are doing and then see how others can adopt that.
0: I think you're right. And you know, there's a theme that's been running through the conversations that we've been having today. And that theme is around data. And I know we have a lot of data around the importance of remittances and how much of it goes back to certain countries and the portion of the national GDP of particular countries that remittances account for and how they benefit, you know, the receivers or the recipients of those funds who are you know, generally remittances are done sort of on a familial basis. You're sending money to your family for general upkeep. And there has been um, lots of diaspora sort of crowdfunding um, ventures that have come on board. But you're right, it's, it's unclear as to which ones are really being impactful. That data I have not seen. And which ones are really efficient. Because it's more than just, when you're trying to do it from an entrepreneurship and a business perspective, it's more than just the given. Because if I'm just, it's, it's investing now, and so it requires additional levels of due diligence and structure. If it's just me donating something to someone, once I've given it to you, I've given it to you. Um,
2: exactly. there is,
0: there's no real need for due diligence from me after that to ensure that you've, you know, accounted for it in any sort of um, financial way and that you've done what you're supposed to do, it's a gift. I've given it to you and you've used it and hopefully you're better off and I feel good about myself and your situation is somehow better. But when we're talking about as an investment, it's quite different. And for me, and maybe the data is there and I just haven't seen it, but I haven't seen the data on how effective, like which are the standout ones, because there are quite a few that have been around throughout the years, like which are the most efficient at doing this and where's the data about how and whether or not they've been able to really move the needle. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, we've come to the point in the show where we ask, WTF, where's the funding? So this is sort of a rapid fire around the time we share Mm -hmm. finance and funding opportunities, resources, tools, and assistance to our audience. Um, What resources, funding opportunities do you have off the top of your head that you can share with our audience?
2: So the two that I think um, that are on the top of my head, um, one is called the uh, SBIR, S-T-T-R grants. Um, It's a mechanism, small business innovation research grants That's provided um, sort of by the government in the U.S. Here uh, for innovation, so you can get it at idea, sort of to help develop a concept all the way to a prototype. If it's a you know product, then the website for that is seedfund.nsf.gov. This is an equity-free investment or an investment. I guess it would be a grant. So, but it was equity-free. Provided that you you know are accepted into it, um, and I think this is sort of a, a it flies underneath the radar for many potential, especially if you're a product innovator, software, some type of um, service in that regard uh, that can help develop the idea, and that's their their main goal is to get you know groundbreaking innovative um, you know products to market. Uh, so I think that's an area to to be looked into um, in Maryland uh state of maryland has the technology development corporation so tedco so they have um seed funds uh and other funds also available uh i'm not there there whether they take a certain stake in the company or not uh it's sort of i have to look into that but i know they they have a lot of sessions that um around sort of an access to funding and and again i think this is an economic development play on their part. Um, and so those are sort of ones that I think are, and they used to have one specifically focused on um, minority-owned businesses. I think they've kind of uh, slightly adjusted the, the naming of it now. Um, and it was unique for what I've seen um, in the market for for early stage companies. Um, that Those are sort of the top of mind um, funding resources. In terms of other sort of knowledge pieces that I think would be great for especially youth entrepreneurs on the continent and in, in particular if they're interested at the intersection of uh, agriculture and ICT because those are both huge growth uh, you know growth areas um, is if you go to the uh, technical Center for agriculture and rural cooperation uh, cta.int is their website and and unfortunately I think whether it's the end of this year or at some point in the near future, um, they will no longer be, they had a sort of a mandate, uh, for, for their existence. And and I, and I got a PR, um, newsletter from them that that's coming to an end, but as they are up now, they have a ton of resources. They have a great network, email list and toolkits. Uh, I actually was able to be a part of the development of one of them that show examples of, um, of, uh, sort of youth, ICT or tech and agriculture, uh, companies and and businesses, and you hear about the challenges they faced and ways they've gone around it. And, 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 and so I think, especially as, you know, both agriculture is going to be a necessary, um, sector for us to look at seriously and technology is a big part of that and youth employment, um, they have a good confluence of, uh, you know, information and data, like what we were talking about earlier. Um, and then the last two would be I would think for for just from a narrative perspective. I don't know if anybody follows uh Strive uh on Facebook. Mm-hmm. very okay. very insightful and if you know, you know, just his story and and all the work that's on in his career and to hear some of the, the developments um now uh I think it's very uh you know, it's a great thing to follow from an entrepreneur, you know, if you're if you're really in their trenches. And you kind of read it, it resonates. And you can see it from the comments also from the young entrepreneurs that respond to his post. Um, and, and we have a, a newsletter called Cool Beans that's released. You can find it on IG um, when it's posted. And then on the bio, you'll find the link. Uh, and what we try to do is try to capture some of the, uh, again, more uh, current, contemporary uh ideas and, and stories about innovators uh, in tech in the green space that's another growth area uh where you know if you follow where the growth uh you know areas are you it positions you well uh if you apply your skill to that then to to be viable so we try to highlight resources and um, stories around that green creative um, and tech so you can look up cool beans and uh, that's the last resources
0: cool
1: beans i like it <laughs> Yep, it is it's, it's, it's really great lots and lots of great resources so sam i miss seeing you and busboys and poets and some of our other haunts but where can we find you virtually if people want to reach out how, how
2: do we contact you? Sure. So, well, uh, mansacolabs.com that's the website, M A N S A C O L A B S.com, uh, on IG it's monsa underscore collabs, uh, and on Twitter Monsa Facebook Monsa Uh, if you're interested in connecting, you can, you also reach out to me through, uh, you know, you can look me up on LinkedIn. Um, and so we're, we're hoping to also uh, restart some version of the Ubuntu sessions, which was kind of like what you were talking about earlier, kind of a mastermind group. We had one session earlier this year. So look out for that. That's, that's another way to do the, the connection.
0: Fabulous. Well, thank you so much.
2: Thank you all.
1: Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. Take care. What a great episode. I really, really love uh, Sam's energy and positivity. As I said before, his work, um, you know, supporting African diaspora and entrepreneurs is decades long and really deep. And what I really enjoyed hearing is his perspectives around the bridge building of businesses on the continent and in the greater diaspora. And also hearing about his um, perspectives in terms of you know African diaspora investment uh, pooling and community pooling. Also important as we see some quite a bit of change in the investment landscape, especially as it relates to black entrepreneurs.
0: So. Absolutely. I thought he was going to close us out with a little bit of rap. So I think that was a missed opportunity.
1: I know we'll have to have him back on the show. We'll do that.
0: You're right. That was a missed opportunity. But with that being said, thank you guys for joining us for another episode of the WTF podcast. Make sure you like rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And don't be strangers. Like get up in our inbox, email us at WTF. Um, Where's the funding at gmail.com and let us know what you think. All right, guys. See you next time. Bye.